Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, we get a pretty awesome uh, topic today, which will be great. We'll talk about Jonah. As you notice, some of the songs have been about water. So uh, it was not by accident that that happened. Uh, we get a chance to kind of focus our hearts and talk about Jonah today. A lot of us know uh, already the story of Jonah. It's a pretty popular story. Uh, a lot of us teach it in, uh, to kids. It's a, it's a pretty popular VeggieTales movie, from what I understand. Uh, so I remember that's like the one VeggieTales I've seen is the, uh, is the Jonah one. Uh, but, but for those who are visiting, this is our Summer of Love. So this is the summer, actually it's the 50-year anniversary of the actual Summer of Love. But as a church, we've been focusing on love, how we can love each other, but before that, be able to really know God's love all the more so that that love can also govern our love horizontally, that the vertical love will govern the horizontal love and that we'll be able to show each other and reflect to each other, really, uh, God. Uh, so it's been a pretty awesome summer. Uh, we're, we're coming toward the end of it. We've been going through the Old Testament throughout the summer, looking at different people. Uh, we're, we're in the book of Jonah. We have a few more, uh, and then we'll close out the year. So this is our summer theme, which is more of like a, a smaller uh, sort of facet of our, our more grand theme, which is transformation by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so any idea of transformation... And the idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to work, integral to that is love. Because Christ's love compels us to change. It's, it's all about the love of God that actually causes that big aha moment in our lives when the, when the light bulb goes on in our head to really cause us to repent for real. So that's kind of the nucleus of all this, which is, which is love. And it's one of the most difficult things, I think, to really deeply uh, uh, do uh, with, with, with our friends, with our families, to really deeply love one another. And there's even different thoughts about what that really means to love someone else, right? The world has its own style of doing that, and God, God has his own um, as well. Uh, well. I do want to share some good news before we move on. We actually had a baptism on Thursday, uh, which is great. So uh, that's Kayton Yang right here in the middle. Kayton, uh, which is awesome. So Kayton got baptized Thursday night at the Ravana River uh, which, is, which is awesome. Uh, had, a, had a sweet little downpour. It's like a little theme. Every, it seems like a lot of our, the baptisms we have there, it's raining, which is cool because in the Bible, rain is like a, a symbol for like being refreshed, renewed, new start, fresh start. So really cool that God's doing that. Uh, but we had a baptism there. Caton is a rising second year at Princeton University, uh, but uh, he's here for us in Charlottesville for another month or so. But what's awesome about the kingdom is that uh, even though he'll go back to Princeton in, here in a month, he's still part of the body of Christ. Amen. Still part of the kingdom. Uh, still, he'll be part of the family up there. So uh, very, very good, good news on that front. Um, so today we're going to go deep heart diving. Deep heart. You ever heard of deep sea diving? Deep sea diving. We're going to go deep heart diving. Uh, we're going to go in there. We're going to see what we find. Now, the ocean is kind of an interesting place because we don't really know what's down there for the most part. The pressure at some point becomes too, uh, too much for us, even with the vessels that we might create. And so it's, I've always been fascinated by what really lives down there. Uh, and so, we, you know, every now and then, like a giant squid or a colossal squid, I think they're called now, will wash up on shore. And we're kind of like, whoa, that's, that's incredible. But there's a lot, a lot of animals probably that live down in the depths that we don't, we can't really see or we don't really know. And I feel like that's kind of like our hearts sometimes. Uh, there's a lot down there. I remember even studying the Bible really for the first time. I grew up around the Bible. I grew up acquainted with God, but never really, really dug in deeply into the Bible until a guy named Nick Anderson asked to study the Bible with me, and, and we looked at what the scriptures actually meant for my life. But I remember being very scared of, oh, no, I don't want to know what I'm going to find in there. 
Um, because sometimes, you know how we you ever had like a reaction, a really strong reaction, usually for men, it's anger. Uh, but for a lot of us, it could, be so, it could be anything. But a really kind of inordinate reaction, you're like, why did I just react, you know, uh, this big to a situation that's kind of this big? Uh, well, sometimes it's because we've got deep issues. Uh, we don't really know. They're deep, they're complex, and we don't really know what's going on, but we're, we're driven by them. We're controlled by them. Most of us with our emotions do one of two things. We either repress them or we are controlled by them. Either way, uh, uh, that, that's, that's a, an area where Satan is going to be able to wreak havoc in our lives if we don't take a good look at our hearts. Some of the scriptures that, that talk about this is Proverbs 20, verse 5, says the purpose in a person's heart is like deep waters. I love this passage. You know, the NIV says the matters of a, of a man's heart are deep waters. Um, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of stuff in there that we feel uh, that, 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 you know, and, and by the way, your heart's just not feeling, uh, it's not just emotion. But there's a lot in there. Your motives. What are your motives? What is, what's your purpose? I love the word purpose. Yeah. What's your purpose in life? Like, that's deep. We have a lot of experiences, how we were raised. Uh, we have a lot of sometimes uh, traumatizing experiences that, that kind of form this. But it's important. The Bible says it's important. Your heart is deep. There's a lot going on in there. Another verse that talks about this is in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. It says, the weapons we fight with uh, are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what's Paul saying? We don't fight like the world fights. We don't go get weapons, right? But what we do is that we actually have to take captive every thought. We actually have to realize what are we thinking? Uh, and we have to make that obedient to Christ. I love that. You know, the idea of, okay, a lot of us can control our actions well enough, at least in front of others, right? When we know we're supposed to behave ourselves. Um, another issue at home, perhaps, right? Um, but, but the thoughts, I love that. The thoughts, our thoughts matter. And that's where Satan is going to attack us is in our thoughts. Because if he can change our thoughts, then the actions are not going to be far behind. So he's going to attack our thoughts. It's not going to be, Satan's not going to attack you like the world attacks you. He's not going to attack you with with necessarily physical weapons, right? He's going to attack you the way that a spiritual warfare happens, which is in the mind and in the heart. So we can already start seeing this is important. We've got to know our hearts. We've got to know our thoughts. Even one more, just for good measure, right? 2 Timothy 2.20. In a large house, there are articles of not only gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So this section is actually about dealing with wickedness. The very next verse says, flee the evil desires of youth, flee wickedness. So this is saying, listen, in the house, there's, there's some awesome things, there's some special things, there's some things that are, that are not so great. There's some, some sin. If you can cleanse yourself from the latter, a.k.a. if you can deal with your sin, you'll be useful to the master. You'll be useful to the Lord if you can deal with your heart. So we looked at three scriptures spanning over about a thousand years from Proverbs to 2 Timothy. Basically, the bottom line is we've got to take a, a good, strong look at our hearts this morning. We've got to take a look. And you know what, by the way, this passage, I believe, is really about good, old-fashioned discipling. To being in somebody else's life. That's when I, we, we, we're able to see our hearts the best is with others. Um, that's when it gets the most difficult, by the way, is because you begin to see disagreements. You begin to have differing opinions. Sometimes we don't always communicate 
in the best way for the other person to hear. Either way, this is a great, uh, a great passage for discipling. But either way, no matter how it happens, we've got to deal with our hearts. Turn over to jo- Jonah and we'll begin. It just so happens that Jonah had a great discipler. His name was God. So we're going to see how difficult it was for God to disciple Jonah. God. Imagine God is your disciple. He's like, all right, let's meet up, you know, this week. Uh, I'm coming over, you know, uh, can you cook us up some dinner? I'll bring some food. What can I bring? You know, God's like, what, what do you want to talk about? Let's, what, what can you work on? But uh, that would be pretty convicting for God to be someone who's giving you counsel, giving you advice, and a lot of times probably unsolicited. Um, Mike Fontenot used to say, you know, there, were, there was a time when people, and some churches still do this, right, that discipling is only, you only get discipling if you ask for it. And I remember Mike Fontenot saying, the best discipling I've received in my life is when I didn't ask for it, is when I didn't know I needed it. Um, and so you're actually limiting yourself there. I'm only going to get it when I ask for it. But actually, we've got to be able to <laughs> volunteer that sometimes in a good heart, right? Let's not be critical or harmful or have a venge- vengeful uh, intention, but in a good heart to be able to, to, to speak up to one another. The book of Jonah, I'm going to do my very best to basically sum up four chapters in the next 22 minutes. So uh, hopefully you read this already. It's on the schedule. It was in your packet. If you haven't read it already, don't read it now. Uh, re- please read it later. Um, it is tempting to just dive right in, pun intended. And if, if, if you can just hold off, read it later. We're going to try to get a, a, a kind of a, a big picture shot right now. Wednesday, we're going to take a, a deep, practical look at our own hearts. Um, so if you're not there Wednesday, we know why. Uh, but Wednesday, we're going to take a good look. I'm actually going to print off this sheet full of really practical, specific uh, sins, idols, basically complex difficulties that it, we can actually look and kind of circle, okay, this is where I'm falling short. This is where I can look at my own heart and life. Today's going to be a broad sweep. And Wednesday, we'll be able to get the pinprick, all right, right down to the nitty gritty. But in Jonah chapter 1, uh, we'll begin here. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away. Two verses in, right? A lot of tension. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed uh, for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he could find a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So, Jonah, we, the only other time Jonah's mentioned in the Bible is 2 Kings chapter 14. And it says he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel uh, from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. Basically, Jonah is known for uh, expanding the boundaries of Israel uh, militarily. Uh, and so he actually does this during the time of a king who's pretty evil. And it seems like there are two other prophets at the time. If you want to go back and read the context, please jot down the passage. But there are, there's a king at the time and two other prophets who speak out against the evil of the king. But Jonah apparently does not. He's more focused on expanding the boundaries of his country. So what we have in Jonah is a very nationalistic guy. He is patriotic. He loves him some Israel. He is like, man, we're going to go, and actually we're going to do it militarily. We're going to go with weapons. We're going to attack. We're going to expand the boundaries. I don't really care about the sin in my king's heart. I'm going to go make sure our country ends up being number one. This is the guy we're dealing with in Jonah. So when God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go preach to Assyria, happens to be a neighbor, happens to be an enemy, uh, 
we know why Jonah ran. Uh, probably, sure, a little bit of it is he was, a, he was afraid of failure, probably. It's not an easy place to preach. There's no, no uh, God there. You know, they, they might kill him. They might attack him. They might hurt him. I think, though, Jonah's a little bit more afraid of success here. He has to go preach to people he does not like. Actually, probably more accurately, he has to go preach to people that he hates. He has to go preach to his enemy. God's saying, I want you to go preach to them, uh, and I want you to go try and help them. And Jonah runs away. He doesn't just run away, by the way. He runs, like, away. <laughs> like, away, away. Like, he's like, I'm going, this is the edge. You can't go much more west before you're in that Atlantic Ocean there, right? He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to Spain, man. So he, he books it, Jonah. He's like, I'm, one verse in, he runs away. You know, I want to take a second and just ask that question for ourselves. When we get a direct command from God, why do we run away? Why do we run away? And we all do it in different ways. We all avoid um, the word of God is a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Now, the word of God is compared to a sword um, for a reason. A sword is a weapon. A sword hurts. If you're reading the Bible and it doesn't hurt every now and again, you're not reading the Bible. It's not it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to cut. That's its nature. It's supposed, I always share the example of when I first read Matthew 5.27. And Matthew 5.27 says, Any man that looks at a woman with lust commits adultery in his heart. I read that and I went, ah, that's an embellishment. You know, lust is not adultery. Adultery is over here on the evil scale. Lust is, ah, lust is fine. Lust is what it is. As long as nobody knows uh, it's not a bad thing. It's not, 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 not so much true. Well, what did I just do? I tried to block the sword yeah. from cutting me. I was like, I see what you say, but uh-uh. let, me, let me filter that into my own experience. And so we do the same thing with the word of God. Jonah is a prophet. His main agenda in life is to preach God's word. He gets God's word and he runs for the hills. Why do you run away from God? Why do you uh, maybe make excuses? Think about quiet times. Think about daily reading the Bible. How's that been for you? How's it going? And if you haven't done it, why, why have you run away from it? What stopped you from going after it? What about daily prayer? What stopped you from daily deep prayer times? How about uh, hospitality? How about having somebody into your home? It's been the summer of love. If you've avoided hospitality in the summer of love, shame on you. What, wh- why have you? This is the summer to do it, right? This is the only theme. We're going to have to wait 10 years, next 50 years until we do a summer of love again, right? Uh, but this is the theme. Why, why has it been so difficult? Why have you uh, run away from that call? Think about studying the Bible. Maybe you're, you know, you're in the middle of going through the Bible study series on okay, getting acquainted with the gospel and really seeing Jesus. Why is it only once every month you're willing to meet up? Why is it only once every two weeks? So, you know, why not? Why do you run away from it? And, 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 and just to take a good look at our hearts. By the way, this is going to get a lot more uh, um, invasive. So just get ready. Um, and not, and not in, a, in a, hopefully not in a critical or condescending way, but in a way that we have to be able to see our hearts for, for what they are, um, because we've already read some scriptures on how important it is. And Jonah, I'm not even sure at this point, knows why he's running. Um, this, this is a very extreme reaction. And he, I'm not even sure. And we'll read more. I'm not really sure he even really gets it yet. So ask yourself, jot that down in your notebook if you're taking notes. You know, why, why do I run away from commands, from the command of God? So Jonah gets on a ship. There's a storm. Uh, verse 4 it says, The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the people on the ship are like, whose fault is this? Jonah kind of doesn't 
uh, speak up quite yet. Then he finally goes, all right, I think it was me, guys. I think I'm kind of the issue here. Um, so deal with me however you want. And they're like, ah, now we got this guy's blood on our hands. But uh, they, they throw Jonah overboard and the sea calms down, right? And we know that Jonah gets eaten uh, by a large fish uh, in chapter 2. Uh, wonder what that was exactly like. Who knows? Uh, we'll have a different lesson on that. But in chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah begins uh, to, to, to say a prayer. And I think Jonah, this, this is the beginning of Jonah's transformation, of really dealing with his heart. And sometimes God takes such extreme measures for us to really see where, where our, our hearts are. And so, sometimes it's sad that we, Jonah could have just had this conversation back, back home. But it, it took him running away. God had to track him down to go through this horrible ordeal where he thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to be the reason a bunch of other men died just because Jonah would not deal with his heart. He wouldn't have a conversation with God, but he ran away. I'm glad that we have a loving God who's able to actually provide a fish. I love that chapter 2 says God provided a fish. It's not like God had a fish eat him for vengeance. No, no, God provided a fish because Jonah needed to think. Jonah needed a little time out to assess his heart. Uh, and we're going to skip down to that. that that's, that's a great prayer. Uh, let's skip down to Jonah 2.6. It says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath uh, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And they commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. By the way, it's the same thing as the first time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it the message I give you. So Jonah obeys. It seems like, all right, sweet, we're on the, we're on the upswing. Jonah's going to go preach the word. He does preach the word to the Ninevites. There's a bit of a play on words here in the original language, in the Hebrew, where go preach to the Ninevites that, um, if they, uh, that, that, that I will overturn them. And so jo- Jonah thinks overturn, that means, oh, God's going to kill him. God's going to take him out. Well, it turns out that what God meant when overturn, the word overturn is the same in Hebrew for the word repent. Um, and so it's a bit of a play on words. Jonah took God's message the way he wanted to take it, which was God's going to go kill him. God's going to go kill my enemies. He didn't take it the way God intended it. And so the Ninevites repent in chapter 310. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them destru- the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now, most of us are familiar with the story as far as Jonah gets eaten by the fish. Then he goes and preaches, and then all is well. But the story takes a dramatic turn, right? God is gracious, God is patient, God is loving, and Jonah gets extremely angry. So you think, with being in the fish, 
We think, oh, he must have repented. Like, yeah, his heart was dealt with. But those idols, those sins were deep. And the second that a situation came up again, they roared back. They reared their ugly heads. And it turns out that sin was a lot more than, than just a few inches deep. It was actually quite deep in his heart. That the sin came right back, the same as before. And even Jonah's like, I knew that you were a gracious God. And even thinking about what he, why is he angry about that? Most people would consider the fact that God is patient, loving, and compassionate a good thing. But when we have an idol that we worship, when we have a sin that's deep, our mind becomes warped. And we begin to call evil good and good evil. And we can't tell the difference. We don't know which way is up. And a part of that's what it actually means to become a disciple, is to reorient your life, to, to realign. Actually, the word orient means that. When a building is oriented, it means that the door is facing toward Jerusalem. That you want, Reorient means to reface, face back toward God. Get back to the right mindset. Get back toward the right priority set. And even as people who've grown up probably acquainted with the, the gospel, maybe you like, oh, yeah, I've been going to church my whole life, there's still some religious idols you probably have to deal with. There's pro- you know, Jonah struggled because he looked down on another people. Jonah hated these people. He preached to them, but even as he obeyed God, he still held the sin in his heart. And a lot of times we can obey and think, oh, I obeyed, but we're still holding on to the bitterness in our heart. We're still holding on to what we want. And it's all it's going to take. It's just a matter of time before another situation happens where we, we lose it again and we get angry. And I love God's question. Is it right for you to be angry? If God asks you that, you're not in a great spot. Is it fair Actually, in the, in the ESV, if you have the ESV, it says, do you do well to be angry? Like, is it helping you right now to be angry? And it's kind of what God is driving at. Look at Jonah 2, verse 8. We're going to go back in time real quick, back to what we just read, because I, be, I think we, we begin to see Jonah's issue. And in Jonah 2, 8, Jonah says something rather remarkable. He said, those who cling to worthless idols, the ESV says empty idols, turn away from God's love for them. The ESV says God's steadfast love. That word in Hebrew is hesed. It's God's covenant love. It's a very close word to the word grace. So Jonah makes a very astute observation here. Those who cling to empty idols, and what, that's what idols are, right? They're empty. They promise fulfillment, but they're empty. If you could just get this job, if you could just get this situation dealt with, if you could just have more money, if you, that guy at school could like you, if you could just whatever, if your boss could really, if your friends if your family, all these things, it, basically fill in the blank. If this happens, then I'll finally be fulfilled. Jonah says, no, they're empty. They're not going to actually fulfill you. He says, when you do this, you actually forsake God's grace. You actually, you actually turn away God's grace from you. It's not God's fault. It's, it's your fault. It's not God's issue. It's your issue. You actually push away God's grace. And it's a moment where you can kind of go, oh, good on you, Jonah. It seems like you're really getting it now. And then in chapter 4, what is he angry about? In 4.1, he says, God, I knew that you are a God of grace. You're a gracious God. So earlier, Jonah was like, yeah, you know what? Those guys who worship idols over there, they cling to worthless idols. They don't get, they don't get what they're missing. But then he realizes, oh my goodness, I have the issue, not them. I have the sin, not them. I have to take the plank out of my own eye instead of the speck out of theirs. I have to deal with my own heart. And the, the story ends with kind of a funny situation. Jonah sits there and he's going to, this is how we are. He digs his heels in the dirt. 
He plants himself by Nineveh, and he says, I'm going to wait until God destroys Nineveh. Basically, I'm going to arrogantly, stubbornly wait for God to give me what I want, uh, which is that these people to be killed. God provides a plant, and Jonah's like, all right, I got a plant. It's a little better. Plant goes away. He gets angry again, like inordinately angry. It's just the anger is there, guys. And then, you know, God ends the story, which we'll, we'll talk about a bit later. But I just want to ask us this morning, you know, we look at talk about Jonah. Jonah's issue with his idols, with his sin. And when I use those words, I just, I mean, you use them interchangeably. But an idol is something that you put your hope in. Something that you put your, 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 your happiness, your hope for happiness in. And then when that doesn't happen, you, you lose it. You go off the deep end. Uh, you get angry. You lash out. Um, you pull back for two months. You, you have this idol uh, or these deep sins that are not dealt with. Jonah's are very complex, and there's not just one. He's got a religious idol. Basically, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm of the people of God, and those Assyrians are not. You know, he's got a nationalistic idol. Uh, he, he, he thinks his country's number one, and those evil, that evil country doesn't deserve God. Uh, and how compassionate is God, by the way, that this, by the, you know, do you know which country ends up taking over Israel and enslaving them? Assyria. This one. So this is God who's that compassionate, who's saying, actually, I, I want to spare them. I want to give them a chance. I want to love them. And Jonah's thinking, no, they don't deserve it. These people are evil. I'm Israel. I'm number one. This can happen with us. We can be nationalistic uh, in our viewpoint. We can think, okay, our, our culture, our country is superior to others, right? Jonah had, had a lot of struggle with these things, and he, he hated the Ninevites. He looked down on them. And we're going to talk more about specifics on Wednesday in terms of our idols, but I do want to encourage the church right now to think, where are you in terms of knowing your own struggles. Could you share, okay, this is where I struggle. This is where, this is the idol that tempts me the most. That, you know what, it's work. I know it's work. You know what, it's my, it's my I want to please my wife. You know, I, I need to get her, get her as most comfortability. She's used to comfortability. I need to give her as much money and comfortability as possible. It's my kids. You know what, I know it's my, uh, it's my struggle for my own schedule. And I don't like to, you know what it is, it's my expectations in my life. But do you know your idol and do you, are you willing to have it dealt with? Are you willing to really see the devastation that it can cause. Uh, this story here, Jonah realizes that he's kind of the, the, the subject. He's got the issue. It's interesting that the prophet, the, basically like the leader of the church, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, that guy, today this would be like, oh man, like the, the leader of the church or, you know, the disciple, because uh, we're all really called to the same level of discipleship. That disciple is supposed to go preach, uh, you know, to, I don't know, the Saudi Arabians or the, the, uh, the Iraqis. Um, and and it, it turns out that the Iraqis actually, God wants to save them, but it's actually us that God, God's saying, no, you, actually, you've got the issue. You've got the sin. Are you dealing with your heart? And for me, this comes back to Jonah's discipling relationship with God. Jonah had a discipling relationship with God, and this, this is really what this is, right? God says, I have a task for you. Jonah runs away. God says, let's talk about it. Why'd you run away? Oh, uh, you know, because of this, that, and this, and the other. All right, well, you know, let's still do it. Still do the task. You know, all right, I did it. Okay, great. Well, they're actually repenting because of what you've done. Praise God. What? All right, okay, so there's obviously some more in there, right? How's your heart? Uh, you know, so, but this is discipling, right? It's discipling. This is getting together with another couple in the church, another brother, another sister, and saying, hey, you know what? What's your struggle? Well, my struggle is work, all right? My challenge for you this week, then, uh, is to talk to your boss about getting less hours so that you can make it out to more uh, meetings of the body with church next week. How'd it go? Oh, I didn't do it. 
Um, actually, it's, you know, maybe it's next month because you've been mysteriously really busy recently, uh, right? It's like, how'd it go? Talking to your boss. Well, I didn't um, because this and that. Okay, how, how come you didn't talk to your boss? Let's talk through your heart. Oh, I was afraid that if I talked to my boss, I was afraid. Honestly, I don't even want to be at church. I don't even like Wednesday. I don't even like Sunday. That's, oh, that's, that's the issue. Okay, that's the issue. That's different. Okay, why, why don't you want to be there? I, you know, talk to your boss. Well, I still haven't talked to my boss. All it is is we're trying to talk through our hearts because it's not really about talking to the Ninevites, is it? That's not the sin. It could have been any number of a hundred things why Jonah didn't want to go talk to the Ninevites or preach to them. The issue with Jonah was that he saw himself as superior to other people. He, he, he looked down on others. Um, he looked down on others. And that's what God was trying to expose. And I, we need to celebrate, too, when sin is exposed. A lot of times we think, oh, sin is exposed. This is a bad thing. No, it's actually good that you're drawing those things out. That's why we're going deep heart diving, right? So we can find out what's down there. Find out the issue so that once you know you have a struggle of, you know, you, you, you struggle with arrogance, then you can take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Once you know you struggle with self-centeredness, once you know that you struggle with being a people pleaser, you just do what everyone else wants you to do, then you can take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We've got to be smart, church, because Satan is out there and he knows our hearts. He's going to attack each of us differently because he knows our weaknesses. He's going to wait for the opportune moment. That's what it says in Matthew 4. When Jesus, right after Jesus got baptized, uh, the next verse is Satan waited for an opportune moment. Then the next verse is that Satan goes and attacks Jesus in the desert with the temptation, right? With the, with the, all, the, the, the food and, and the superiority and all those things. But Satan's going to wait for an opportune moment to strike. We've got to know our hearts. We've got to know our struggles. I have certain struggles. My, my roommate in college, I share this a lot, one of my best friends, he had an alcoholic past. He couldn't be near alcohol. It was his struggle, and he knew it. He couldn't be near any, any of that stuff. So as roommates, we didn't, we didn't drink around him because we knew that would cause him to struggle. But he didn't struggle with sexual purity as much as I did. You know, that was my big struggle. So he, he, he wanted to help me in that. I never really struggled with drinking. That was never really a problem for me. But I had to think, okay, he had to know that that was his weakness. He had to know it because Satan was going to attack. And if he could attack, he could get a foothold. And if he can get a foothold, he can start to slowly cause uh, uh, erosion in your life. Slow, slowly cause erosion, corrosion, the whole, you know, our hearts to be able to be killed from the inside out. And this is Satan's number one attack. It really is. Think about, that's a sad thought, you know, but think about people you know that have left the faith. Why did they leave? Have you thought about it? Why did they leave? What's the reason? It's usually not because you know, some crazy uh, sort of outside external situation happened. It's usually something in their heart that hadn't been dealt with in a long time. Usually something in a, a long time hadn't been dealt with. It's amazing how many times a brother stops coming to church. And I'm like, well, why aren't you coming? And he's like, well, because of this, because of that. All these reasons that seem kind of random. And then I find out, okay, well, actually, no, he's been in a relationship for a while with the girl. He just, he never mentioned that. That was the issue. He wanted to date. He wanted to get married. He had a romantic idol. He thought, if I could just have this girl, then I'll be happy. You know, people who leave, and then a year later, you think, well, what happened? What happened? Well, it turns out, you know, that he, he wanted to, he really thought that if he did well in school, all his problems would go away. So he just, that was, that was the issue. He really thought that, you know, if he could just be in charge of his life and do what he wanted and not have to concede, he could be happy. All, it's our heart that will kill us in the end, church. And I think we've got to be aware of this and realize what's so great about this is how gracious God is in continuing to reach out to Jonah. That God is still there. God's not saying, Jonah, you're done. God is still reaching out. And if there's somebody in this church who is still reaching out to you to get time, don't be mad at them or annoyed. Praise God. Fall on your knees and be grateful. They still care about you. 
They still want to spend time with you. They still want to see you. And if you're making it hard on them, let's, let's, let's repent of that. Let's be able to spend time together. The world beats us up every day out there. We've got to build each other up every day in here. We've got to be able to build each other up as a church. And, uh, you know, let's be real. We're still growing in discipling, aren't we? We're not. Discipling is few and far between at best from, 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 from situations and from conversations. It's real. Discipling is not easy because the issues are complex and deep-rooted. I've been there. We're still talking about the same thing. You know, just a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we drive up every other week two hours just to get discipling from a couple in, in the Potomac Valley Church in Stafford. And then the intermittent weeks, we FaceTime in to get counseling. My wife is so much better at it than I am. She's got like a list of questions she wants to ask. And I'm always like, oh, man, like, I don't have any questions. I should have questions. Think of a question. And then I think of a question, but it's kind of a dumb question, you know. And, and I'm like, oh, man. So she sets the humility bar pretty high there. But last time, we, a couple of times ago, we showed up and we just kind of, I didn't even know I was feeling anything. And I asked a question. And then we, Jane and I started to kind of talk. And it turned out we kind of had a little, little tiff right there, you know, a little row, a uh, little fight. Uh, you know, in front of the archers, and it was kind of like, no, not really epic, but, you know, just kind of like, okay, this is, this is what I'm feeling, and it was like, blah, there it is. But I thought to myself, I wonder if this would have come out had we not sat down with the archers. I wonder if this would have been dealt with, and it ended up being fine, and Jenny and I, you know, it made us, uh, we were able to forgive and reconcile, and it was great, but I was like, I wonder if this would ever have happened. I, probably not, probably not, or it would have boiled, it would have built until Jenny did something little, and then I would have just yelled at her and ex- exploded on her in anger and you know it would have been totally unfair to her but I just hadn't dealt with my heart but there's something about the humility you know first Peter 5 5 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble there's something about being humble that God gives you a little grace when you're humble even if you show up with a lot of dumb questions you're humble it's not about the questions just really showing up to get discipling to get help and we don't have to be qualified to disciple each other all we're doing is just being friends and asking questions the archers didn't do too much before Jenny and I started to kind of talk and get into it, right? All they did was say, how you doing? And it was, boom, and we're in it, right? And the archers were like, well, here are some things that help us. And that was it. We prayed together, and it was great. It was great. But, but are we doing that? Are we, and it doesn't have to be in person. In person's great, by the way. But we have FaceTime. We have cell phone. Are we reaching out to people? Are we still getting together? Just because you made the decision to repent and be baptized does not mean that Satan's like, I guess I better back off. It actually means the opposite. He's going to come after you with all that he has. If you haven't decided to become a disciple yet, you're still on his team. You're still on the side of evil. So he's like, I got you. He's going after those who have made the choice to follow God. And we've got to be vigilant. We've got to stay vigilant. You know, keep, I love when Jesus is praying in the garden in uh, Matthew 26. Remember what he says? Keep watch and pray. And what he's saying is we've got, to, we've got to keep watch, but also synonymous with keeping watch is praying. Be alert. Satan's coming. Satan's going to attack our hearts. Now, does it mean that we have to be perfect and deal and be like these professional psychotherapists, you know, that know all the intricacies? And no, you know, I don't know. We don't know the answers, right? But we do have to be aware uh, of what's going on in there. Luckily enough, God does not say, all right, know your heart, know it perfectly, be able to deal with it, live perfect lives, and then I'll be able to embrace you. Notice that God went to Jonah. God reached out to Jonah. God said, listen, and God continues. As much as Jonah tries to keep God away, God keeps reaching out to Jonah. This is the God we serve, church. We have a God who's reaching out to you in the same way. And you're thinking, man, why does this keep coming up? Because God's like, I want you to deal with it. I want you to see that this will kill you. This will send you and your family straight to hell if you do not deal with it. And I could say that and go, well, that sounds kind of harsh. But here's the thing. It's true. 
If we don't deal with our hearts, if we don't see what's going on in there, Satan can use it against us. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to see what's going on so that we can deal with it. I remember being so faithless. And I've shared about this a ton. People in the church probably, we've already heard this a thousand times. That's okay. But I do feel like for me, uh, in terms of uh, my own walk, right? I shared about in the past about my, my sexual purity in high school and in college. It was, it was not good, right? Uh, I, I, was, I was addicted um, to internet pornography. And I remember, I remember being faithless, like, you know what? I'll never change. Um, and in the last five years, I remember having conversations with different brothers, saying things I thought I would never say, talking about how, you know what? That's not a struggle anymore. You know what? I can actually have this, this ability. You know, I can actually have no, no filter here, and, and I feel stronger. You know what? I actually feel like I want to be pure. You know, I actually feel like I want to confess. You know, I'm confessing more than I ever used to. You know, I'm actually seeing the different, how evil this was, even back then, and kind of the awfulness of it. And I'm seeing it. Man, these are daughters of God. What was I thinking? What? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying these things, and I'm thinking, man, I never thought I would have said these things 10 years ago. I never thought. But, if, but Satan got me to be faithless. He got me to give up. And there were brothers in my life saying, Drew, you got to stop. you got to stop. What can we do to help? And in my, in my friend Will's life, with his alcoholism, I was like, Will, you got to stop. You, you, you can't. You, you're having too many. You're, you're losing it. You're, you, know, you, you have no uh, boundaries with this. And so Will and I both had to take a good hard look at our lives and say, we've got to repent. Now, Will's, Will's been sober, I believe, for 11 years now. His wife's pregnant. They're about to have their first kid down in Australia. And they're a strong couple in the faith. But I bet if Will was standing here, he'd say the same thing. I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I'd be 10 years sober. I never thought I'd be able to be free from all this. But that's what the power of God does. Once you begin to take a good hard look at what's in there. And most people don't do this because it's difficult. No one likes it, right? If I say that I repented of my, you know, pornography and alcoholism and, you know, hitting my wife, uh, hypothetically, then people go, people go, oh, man, like, that's great for you, man. Good job. Good job, Drew. But if I say, hey, you got to stop looking at pornography. You got to stop drinking. You got to stop hitting your wife. The applause usually stops. And people say, hey, back off. It's none of your business, right? People don't want to deal with their hearts. We don't want to. That's why right now across the world at Sunday mornings, people are not talking about dealing with sin, right? Because it's not popular. People don't like to do it. And then we lose faith and we kind of give up and say, I guess we're all sort of sinners. We should just trust in God's grace and not try because we all just feel super uh, uh, you know, insecure and self-accused. And if we mention it, we don't want to sound. No, let's be excited that we have a God who loves us and a God who wants to deal with our deep, deep-rooted sin because God is strong enough to deal with any sin. Amen. There is no sin too big for God. And when we talk that way, we're actually just talking like, I can't do this. Well, of course you can't. Good. That's the first step. Now you need to realize that God can. And God's going to be patient with you the whole way. Um, uh, let's save that for one second. I have a quote real quick from Richard Lovelace. Talking about our, our idols um, and how we can, we can kind of put our hope in idols instead of Christ. It says, those who are not secure in Christ cast about for spiritual life preservers with which to support their confidence. And in their frantic search, they cling not only to shreds of ability and righteousness they find in themselves, but they fix upon their race, their membership in a party, their familiar social and ecclesiastical patterns, and their culture as a means of self-recommendation. The culture is put on as though it were an armor against self-doubt, but it becomes a mental straitjacket which cleaves to the flesh and can never be removed except through comprehensive faith in the saving work of Christ Jesus. And that's what it is, right? It's like, I love the idea of flailing about 
We're looking for life preservers. Ah, oh, what's going to give me security? What's going to give me hope? What's going to make me happy? Oh, here, success. Oh, my job. Oh, money. Oh, kids. Oh, my kids' happiness. Oh, friends. Oh, people like me. And we just think, man, you know what? We think it's going to be some kind of armor. It's just a straitjacket. We only, and it can't be removed except through realizing that you have identity in Christ. You have identity in Christ. And this is what Christ says here in Matthew 12. The men of Nineveh, here we go, a little Jonah shout out. The men of Nineveh at the judgment uh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Yikes. Basically, the guys, the evil people that Jonah preached to will condemn you. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. You know, Jesus says, listen, the people in Nineveh, sure, they were evil, but they repented. They changed. You're not repenting. Jesus is talking to Jews uh, in his neighborhood (laughs) at this time, right? This is not a popular teaching. They don't like this teaching, right? Because Jesus is saying, listen, the people in Nineveh, they actually made it because they repented. That's awesome. How important is repentance? Repentance is massive. But here's the thing. Jesus says something greater than Jonah is here. You know, Jonah uh, is a type of Christ, but Christ is even greater. Just as Jonah enters a storm uh, and he's afraid for his life, Jesus also enters a storm in Matthew 4, or sorry, in Mark 4, uh, and they're afraid they're going to die, but Jesus calms the storm. But Jesus actually enters an even greater storm on the cross. He enters a storm of trouble, a storm of divine punishment that was meant for you, uh, and he looks up and and he takes it full on. Uh, a situation where he was afraid, a situation where he didn't know what to do, where he was sweating drops of blood, where he prayed that God take it away. But Jesus entered the greatest storm, and he did it for you. Uh, And I have a quote here um, by Tim Keller to kind of close out. Here is the great difference. Jonah was thrown only into a storm of wind and water. Jesus, on the cross, however, was thrown into the ultimate storm of all the divine justice and punishment that we deserve for our wrongdoing. When I struggle with my idols, I think of Jesus, voluntarily bowing his head, taking it on frontally for me. He sank in that storm of terror so that I would not fear any other storm in my life. If he did that for me, then I know my value, confidence, and mission in life all rest in him. Storms here on earth can take away many things, even my physical life but never my true life. And I love that, that through Jesus, we have nothing to fear. And let's remember, church, as we think about our idols, and we can even feel a little discouraged or overwhelmed by them, let's not look at them, let's look to the cross. And remember that we actually have Jesus. And if Jesus could enter that great storm, we can enter the storms of our lives as well, knowing that we don't have to come out victorious, we're already victorious because of what we've seen in Christ. Any of us today who've decided to repent and be baptized, just like Caton did on Thursday, Have that great assurance to remember that. That great assurance to remember, you know what? I have value in Christ. I have identity in Christ. And if you don't have that quite yet, I encourage you not to wait no longer. It could happen today or tomorrow or this week. You know, it doesn't really matter about you. You know, what's great is is that it's God's grace. God's grace is for everyone. That was what Jonah's problem was. uh, Jonah didn't like that grace was for everyone. Um, He thought it was just for him and and the other Jews. Um, Let's look, let's look at how the book ends, and we'll wrap up with this. Jonah chapter, the end of chapter 4. Verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now they're, on the, they're talking about the plant, right? So why does God talk about the plant? Well, because it exposed Jonah's heart. 
It is, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right arm from their left, and also many animals? And then Jonah said, no, it ends. That's it. It's over. One of the great endings to the books of the Bible. What are we left with that, right? How are we left? You know, why are we not shown Jonah's response, you think? You know, it's almost as if God aimed an arrow of loving rebuke, you know, right at Jonah's heart. Set it afly, and suddenly Jonah vanishes. And there, there we are. And that arrow's coming right for us, right in its path. The question comes at us. We are so enslaved to our idols that we don't care um, about people who are different. We don't care about uh, what God wants. God's saying, I care about these people. Do you care about these people? Why are you so caught up in the plant? You don't care about the 120,000 people who live down there. I care about them. I care. We have a God who cares about people, and God's asking you the same question. You're sitting here this morning. Why do you care about so much about the job or care so much about you know, what your wife thinks or your husband thinks? Why do you care about what your kids think? Why do you care so much? There's people out there who are hurting. There's people in here who are hurting, and they need to be loved. And God's saying, I love them. Do you want to love them too? And why don't you? Why are you so focused on the plant? This whole time, Jonah's, th- Jonah's like, man, I love to think that the only reason we have this book of the Bible is because Jonah left to go write it, right? I think he actually responded well. I don't think Jonah would write a book where he's a pretty, pretty much an evil fool on every page. Uh, and they'd be like, here you go, so, you know, submission for uh, a printing here. But I actually do believe that Jonah, that question hit Jonah, and then he left to go repent. He left to go change. And the same question is for us. If we are... If we're ready to love God and love others the way that God does, if we are, then we must look at the ultimate Jonah and to his sign, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a greater Jonah than Jonah. Praise God that we have a greater Jonah than Jonah. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. And and I want to leave with one thought, one closing thought. The title of my lesson was Deep Heart Diving. We're going to dive in there and see what happens, see what we can find. But I want us to take home one point, which is find identity in him and find shelter from the storm. That if we can find identity in Christ this week, that's what I want us to leave with. Find identity in Christ. This is incredibly difficult because we, we're so used to living the way the world does. But I want to encourage you, whatever you've got to do this week to find your identity in Christ, set up a Bible study. Come to midweek this week on Wednesday. We're going to talk about this more in depth. You know, set up a time to pray over the phone. Set up a time to pray in person. Set up a time, and a little Sabbath time, two hours this week, where you have nothing, no phone, no TV, just time to read. Set up time, just, but find your identity in Christ. Because if you can do that, you can enter any storm with shelter. You can enter any storm, and even if it takes your life, it will never take your true life. So let's find identity in Christ, church, and let's find shelter from the storm, and let's keep our eyes on the truer and greater Jonah, that is Jesus Christ. Amen, and to God be the glory.